And then in 2017, around Christmas time, they named our pants the number one hiking pants of 2017. Yeah. They also put us in the gear guide, uh, both outside magazine and climbing mag, all organically without us paying. From Alda, this is the Protect Your Wild podcast, a show about founders, athletes, and influencers, and how their passion for the environment led to their actions and career paths today. I'm Colin Campbell, and this week, I'm having a chat with Charlie Bessie, the founder and CEO of Koala Tree, a brand really well known for their innovative product line and the sustainable materials used, and of course, their super successful Kickstarter campaigns. If you want to learn even more about Koala Tree, be sure to check out our blog post on them at aldalifestyle.com. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to our emailing list. That is where we send out the discount codes to all of these brands that I talk to. But I'm stoked for you guys to hear Charlie's story. Enjoy. How's it going, Colin? Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me. Um, I, f- I found you guys through the, the trailhead pant, I guess, was my introduction to the brand. And, uh, you know, I love the whole mission and your ability in this product design. So, like, combine the technical side with the, the focus on mission and sustainability and doing things the right way. Definitely. Uh, that, that's something that has been uh, the, the passion and the DNA of the, of the brand from the beginning. Um, our whole mindset was how do we um, expand the green and organic movement from just food, from yeah. not just food, but bring it into clothing and into what we wear as well. Um, right. A lot of people aren't aware of this, but the clothing industry is one of the most toxic industries in the world. Um, and Food is there too, right? But we were had such an emphasis and a focus on, you know, what we put in our bodies, and we didn't really have the mentality of putting that same mindset and emphasis into what we put on our bodies. And they go mm-hmm. hand in hand; Absolutely. they really do. I mean, if you're taking all this work and all this effort to support Sprouts or your local grocery store and and your local farmers, that's that's a huge, huge initiative. But if you can also focus on what you're putting on your body and not going to H&M and not going to Uniqlo and not going to these throw out retailers where they mm. expect you to, they actually produce the clothing in a way where they want the seams to break and they want things to break within yeah. six months. The planned obsolescence, they, right? Yep. They want that stuff gone in six months and nobody to be able to wear it. And that makes you go back in and buy another shirt for 12 bucks instead of just focusing on maybe buying a shirt for 40 bucks and keeping it for your whole lifetime. <laughs> And your kids' lifetimes, if they wanted. I mean, I have friends who they have they have parents and uh, grandparents that, that they raid the closets when they're getting ready to throw their stuff out, and stuff's back in fashion and circulating, and mm-hmm. and it, it's fu- it's fun for everybody. So when we put stuff in, that 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 experience of of myself and my friends wearing our parents and our grandparents' clothing. Uh, because it was, pe- then you get in there and it's Filson and it's Penafield and it's these cool brand heritage brands, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, every time we produce a quality product, that's what we have in mind is we want it to, we literally want it to be worn by the people that buy its kids and grandkids. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I myself have a flannel that was passed down from my dad, uh, about a hundred pounds ago for him, but <laughs> so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny how that works. So what, what kind of first connected you with nature, you know, in your childhood growing up, what are some memories that you have? 
Yeah, I, I love that question. I get kind of goosebumps at that with that question. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it, it, we grew up here in Salt Lake City, um, mm. just right outside Salt Lake. I grew up a middle child of seven kids. Um, and so you could imagine, I mean, nine people in a household, it was, it was, uh, a lot of fun, but there was a lot of chaoticness and to sure. find time for myself to think, um, I'm a type of person that I, I analyze and think and plan and foresight. And that's how I really uh, achieve my goals. Yeah. And so I understood that at a young age. And so being around a busy, chaotic family, I lived the benefit of that is I lived right across from the mountains. Um, literally across the mountains, I could go build a fort. I could go, um, on, on scavenger hunts or clay pigeons, you know, or whatever <laughs> yes. it was that, 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 cause there was a shooting range up there. Um, and so I would, I would go up there, whether it was by myself or whether it was with friends and I would just connect with that nature. It was somewhere where I could find peace and I could find quietness. And I had the really cool experiences. One time I was up there and I ran into a cougar, which is pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I was, I was lucky enough that I just literally stayed still and I, 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 you know, didn't, didn't run, didn't do anything yeah. and made myself look bigger than I was. And, right. and, and, and he had, and, and he had really no interest in me. I don't think they caught, they caught him five months later in another person's backyard and brought him somewhere safer. But, uh -huh. um, that, that type of like one-on-one -on -one, you're in second grade and you're sitting there looking at a cougar. And then a, a couple months later, I had the same experience with a Fox. The Fox wasn't nearly as scary. It was kind of like, Oh, I'm going to go chase that. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but those are the type of moments where like n number one, connecting with, um, the quietness and the stillness of nature. And then number two, wildlife. I just fell in love mm. with wildlife uh, from Absolutely. those experiences. So after that, I, I started asking my dad, um, Hey, let's go to Yellowstone. Let's plan a family trip to Redfish Lake. Let's plan a family trip to Arches to Zion. And from that, from, from there, we just, all of our summer trips turned into enjoying the outdoors that is right nice. around us here. And from that point, I just continued to fall more and more in love with, with nature and mother earth. Um, I don't, I haven't shared this too much cause it hasn't come up, but sure. if you asked me up until about seventh grade, what I wanted to be, it was a wildlife photographer. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And that was, I mean, after the, you get done with the, you know, the, the cops and the firefighters and that stuff, <laughs> right. uh, you know, my real professional skateboarding. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. After that, the real thing that stuck for me was was wanting to do wildlife photography. I just, I felt like, um, you know, it was, it was such some, something that was very special. Now, as I grew up and my ADHD kicked in and I realized <laughs> that those photographers sit there for right. 10 hours at a time <laughs> right, or right. 10 days at a time or whatever it is yeah. to get that shot. I realized that it probably wasn't for me, but my <laughs> right. passion and my connection and love for nature, it always stayed intact. And so I ended up from that point in, uh, ninth grade, I started my, my first business, a lawn aerating company. Um, and I, I, I started, uh, um, a couple other businesses since then, you know, concert promotions, um, videography and filming. So that's, it's so kind of like always been in your blood then. It sounds like you've it, always just been looking, yeah. looking for something to, to, to put your attention towards and to throw yourself at. It has, it has exactly. And so when I realized that, that, something that was hard to other people, like setting my first year of doing lawn aeration, I did $80,000. I mean, oh, wow. first a kid, that's, that's a game changer. Oh, yeah. And so to be, yeah. So like for me, it just, that's when it clicked. So I've always had that tie and that, that love to mother nature. And then 
I had the business thing click for me in ninth grade and I've always, so, so, so then I kind of took off running in that direction. Right. And, and, uh, um, out of high school, I got a job at skull candy and that's when I really got uh, insight into the action sports world and into how business works with, within that culture. Um, my father and mother are both business owners in real estate. And, um, you know, when I would get in, tr- in trouble in, in grade school, that, and, so and that's where more, that entrepreneurial spirit comes from. Those, the parents, yeah, right? you've kind of, yeah. s- same, same thing with me sort of as I was, my dad's, uh, was a teacher and then started his own educational company. And he calls himself at least the accidental entrepreneur, right? Where yeah. he was like, I, I didn't really, I wasn't planning on doing business. I just, you know, saw a need in a lot of kids who couldn't read and they weren't getting, the services they needed. So I took it upon myself and people noticed. And, and yeah, it's when you're raised, when you're lucky enough, I guess, like ourselves to be raised in that environment, your brain just works different. I feel like you look, you're just looking for the opportunities and you're, you have a bit of a, a fire under your butt to go for it too. Yeah. Yeah, no, I fully agree. I think, you know, my parents, the first, my, I, I got, they were just kind of trying to figure it out. Um, uh, you know, with seven kids, I'm the middle one. They were kind of, okay, well, how, how can we engage this person, um, instead of punish them? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, and, and I was never getting in trouble for anything big. You're just talking about, you know, uh, class clown stuff. <laughs> sure. And so they had me read a book in, in seventh grade and it was self-made in America. And, they uh, they had me read it and then I had to write a report on it before I was ungrounded or whatever and it, I I read the book in like a day and a half and had the report done in two days nice. and my That's a cool I, so kind I think punishment ish yeah 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 so I think my dad I think it was just a way of of, of slowing me down enough to re- to think you know because I do a lot of things just kind of in in. Uh, impulsively mm-hmm. and so that that that's when it started to connect with me and then they were going out to conferences or different entrepreneurial things and i asked to go and express interest and so they would take me and i didn't really know what what seed i was planting but what it did do is like just like you said it created a mindset for me where when there's problems or confrontation a lot of people run away but for me i say oh I actually, I actually happen to be a professional problem solver. So how can I fix this? Right. And not to the point where it's unhealthy and I'm taking things on to be a problem fixer. Right. It's more so when I come in here to the office and somebody says, you know, that every, this, this jacket is not going to work. This, the medium size is terrible. And I say, well, why? And they say, well, because this one customer wrote in about it. You know, that's, that's, that, ha- that stuff happens all the time in, in this, in, in this world where you let a few people make a giant impact on what you're doing when you, in essence, if you put those blinders on and you figure out that, um, okay, well what, that let's get that customer into a size large and see if that works for them and we'll pay for the shipping. And then that problem's fixed right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that customer wanted was to be made, made, you know, made to feel special and let know that it, everything's going to be okay. But it, it, the general average mind will think in a way where they're like fight or flight just from that simple re- right. interaction, it you can, know? Um, you can turn the simple problem into to something that blows out of proportion or something. Yeah, you gotta, uh, you definitely got to have that, uh, that mentality of like, you know, being a firefighter, right? You got to figure out what, how you got to manage what types of fires, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, the bigger you get, the more problematic that gets. And yeah. so it's, 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 uh, 
Yeah, it's it's nice. It's it's an enjoyable thing because when you see, for for us, you know, the brand has grown. And um, when I was at Skull Candy, they had a great culture and a great environment. I was about I was their sixth employee or so. Oh, so wow. we're at ele- yeah, we're at eleven here at Koala Tree. So nice. we're 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 in a good place right now um, for some strong growth. But um, I loved Skull Candy. I loved everything about it, but they were producing a lot of plastic right? and they, they even, not even just in the headphones, but in like the actual plastic of the packaging. Uh And and so that uh, uh, vice news reached out to me when I was at skull candy and they were nothing but a a blurb. Nobody really knew about them. This would have been in 2007. Uh Um, and they reached out about, uh, um, a project they were doing on the plastic Island. Um, it was, you know, at that time it was three times the size of Texas and they were going out, to raise awareness of it. And they were looking for corporate sponsors. And so I, I thought, wow, well, you know, Skull Candy produces a ton of plastic. Um, we encourage people to recycle it, but what a great way for us to give back to this cause. Mm-hmm. So as a young noble mind, I went into the, you know, the management and said, Hey guys, awesome opportunity. You know, th- I was, I was 21 at the time. And then next old, the next person there was probably 35. Okay. So, so you've Skull been Candy there about four re- years or so at that time. Or since high school, you said? Since I, I went to college for about two years, and then I dipped in. So I'd been okay. there for about two two years at this time. Gotcha. And, uh, um, you know, the great thing, and I'm even, I'm 33 now. So at, at Koala Tree, even, I look to my, you know, my the guys right out of college to yeah. really, because they're the ones that know what's, what's hip, what's going on. And, and, uh, so at Skull Candy, that was a little bit tougher because you have these older guys, and their uh, their real goal was to sell for millions. They wanted to make money. That was their goal. They didn't mm-hmm. want to change uh, the environment. They want, didn't want to revolutionize anything. Their their sole purpose was money, money, money. That was it. Um, and so it's tough because it being uh, and I'm just being real here too, not dogging on Skull Candy at yeah, all. Yeah. But I feel like in these types of podcasts, I'm I'm going to be real about where it struck because we're talking about the environment specifically here. Right. Um, and so when I went in and I saw that they wouldn't even put towards $3,000 to this vice partnership to take care of, to raise awareness to something they were, there was a problem they were, they were giant part of, um, then, then, then I got disappointed, you know, I got, I kind of got a little bit, um, it was my first moment of like, wow, okay, there, a lot of corporations don't have to be responsible and they'll continue Mm -hmm. to operate. Um, and, and so there also was some other social givebacks that were supposed to happen that didn't, and the money went right into the, the top executives pockets at the end of the year. Um, and so, so not, not to take any credit away from them working hard that year. And, and, you know, they probably deserved it, but at the end of the day, the earth deserves and the environment deserves to have responsible people that own businesses that are aware of their carbon footprint and what they're doing as an impact on the environment and not just the environment directly, but as a mindset, you know, if, if, yeah. if Skull Candy would have got behind that initiative, number one, they'd be in bed with Vice, which is the biggest news outlet in the <laughs> yeah, world right that now. That would have helped for, a little. <laughs> exactly. For, 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 our, for our age group, it's the best people to know. And they, Vice was a big part in helping quality build ourselves up. And Skull Candy missed out on that opportunity to be a part of something, be a part of history, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's because they, they, they didn't listen to um, the, 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 social responsibility aspect that was kind of, that was new at the time tom right, hadn't even just been around, been around yet. yeah exactly so 
point is, is I don't, I'm not to spend too much time on that, but I, I got frustrated for about a year. I was at Skullcandy. I was kind of unhappy watching them take and take and take yeah. and never give. They gave, they did one thing board, with boarding for breast cancer, but it didn't seem genuine to me. And it was very disconnected. It was more like, here's a check. washing right, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, uh, I, and it's nice because I'm still friends with the people at Skull Candy, but they've switched ownership several times, and they're trying to get back to the old school marketing of exactly what I'm talking about. Mm. Um, but they had the opportunity to also then get their backing of, of their core customers to get behind a good initiative and say, "Oh wow, yeah, Skull Candy's—they're they, raising awareness for that. This is really cool." Um, and and so I, out of that frustration, more or less, Koalachu was born. Um, I ended up continuing to kind of not see eye to eye with with that idea of just money money over people and so i ended up leaving and doing a consulting business and i was consulting for small or large companies um when i was at skull candy they went from 5 million to 125 so a lot of my consulting was you know going in and dissecting at what stages do you need to revamp your structure your infrastructure whether it's employees Uh or software systems etc and through that um, I'd also help with consulting people, you know, wanting to start up a business. And through that, uh, uh, my first business partner in Koalachu came to me in 2010 and said, Hey, I've got this idea. I want to promote, um, you know, organic and sustainable clothing. And an initiative that I want to do to help people understand what we're doing is to go out to Colorado. I've got this family property at 16 acres. It's right on the Colorado river. Mm-hmm. And I want to start up an organic nonprofit farm. That's much like the DC Mountain Lab here in Park City, where, but instead of just having the Mountain Lab allow available to professional snowboarders, right. let's make the farm available to everybody. Let's yeah. have it be like a woofing type thing. And then, better yet, let's not come out with any clothing until we go out to the farm and we, if some, if an article of clothing can uphold on a farm, it can uphold anywhere. So let's go out there. Let's do a line. Let's have it influence through the colorways of the farm. Let's have it influence through whatever comes to us while we're out there. And, and let's give this a run. Yeah. So I thought it was such a sweet idea um, that I jumped on board and I, we moved out to a, a, a farm that was just, a, it was a desolate piece of 16 acre property. And through that, that summer, we were able to learn from the farmers in the area. It was a town of around 200 people. So it's called Silk, Colorado, super small. And shout out to Silk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shout, shout out to Silk, baby. Go for go for foods there. Um, but uh, no, I, I remember one time being on the farm, and my business partner had left, and he was the one financing it. And I I I was so thirsty, and you couldn't drink the water on the farm yet because we hadn't didn't have all the purifiers in place. Mm-hmm. So I drive down to the gas station, and I literally picked out. This was like two months after being on the farm, so I literally picked uh, out. Um, like 84 cents out of my car um, and went in to buy some water and I ended up having to get a beer because it was cheaper than the water. And <laughs> I, I remember being so pissed at that time. Oh, like, what am I doing out here? Why am I here? I just left an amazingly good job and like I paid off all my debts to come out and do this and now I'm broke. And I <laughs> I have I have a 2000... Um, eight BMW 325i blacked out that I'm searching for change in because I have no money to buy a beer <laughs> irony, and, and right? I can't afford water. It yeah. was really, really funny. It was a, it was a drastic lifestyle shift. Yeah. And I was on the road with Skullcandy and my consulting business for nine months out of the year. I was going to, 
you know, everything from the X Games to South by Southwest. So to to really it, to say it lightly, it was a complete 180. Um, and, and, and that's where what I'm getting at with that is that the entrepreneurial mindset is I had passion. I had yeah. had an experience at Skull Candy that made me upset because the powers that be, in my opinion, weren't caring about what they were doing in a negative impact to the environment. And I wanted to be a part of that change mm-hmm. that happened with Tom's, that happened with Proof Eyewear, that happens with Listen Headphones. I mean, rarely is it a thing now for a, a, a hip startup to do something without a core give back. That is like yeah, part of the DNA of companies true. now. It's pretty awesome. Um, it is. It's really awesome. It's it's quite incredible. And so I feel like that 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 you know, ten years ago was was a revolution that's now come to fruition. When yeah. when when we when we started up that first um, line of clothing, there was two factories in the world that did things out of recycled plastic bottles, um, X-ray films, lunch trays. I mean, just plastics and and things that you could get creative with. Now there's over hundreds. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it really and and those factories they really do operate off of the demand of the consumer. And so it's really been fun to watch that shift and watch that mindset shift and, and um, you know, for Koala Tree to be a part of it and, and a, kind of a pioneer in it. And, and so, yeah, our, our not, not to go on rambling, but our whole, our whole emphasis was if we can get people out and we can get them farming, um, you know, we go to trade shows and we get the buyer for BC Surf and Spore out to our farm. And then he'd be out on the farm for a weekend and taste the high quality food and 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 see how much better it, it, it helps makes him feel. Yeah, what and a then, unique experience to offer too. That I'm yeah. sure that that's coming at him from such a different angle than than probably they'd ever been approached with before. It really was. It was coming from a really genuine angle. Yeah. And when when they left, you know, people do business with people, and when they left, they had the understanding of what we were trying to build. And they wanted to get behind it, so he writes a, he writes a purchase order for all eleven stores, um, you know, and that that was a big way of how the brand grew. Um, the girl chocolate team was doing a tour around the the nation, and they stopped. They'd heard about our farm from a shop that was carrying us in Salt Lake City, hmm. and so they 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 get in touch with us and they stopped at the farm. And next thing we know, we have Brandon Beeble, Eric Costin, Sean um, Sean uh, um, um, Malto. And all these big, huge, influential skateboarders on our farms posting about it, putting it out there. Um, at the time, we were really heavy in skate shops. So just those type of organic things that happened t- took the brand and put us put us on the map, um, which helped us to be able to, to then influence that industry on uh, more so, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be abnormal for someone to go to Maloof Money Cup or or um, South by Southwest and at an event grab mcdonald's or burger king that's catering there and red mm-hmm. bull and that's just kind of was normal at the time but right. what koala tree did is we took all the farm meat from the farm so we turned that farm into uh you know a, a um fully functioning alt- alternate alternating farm where we would move the crops and rotate the crops with the livestock uh-huh. so we, we had pigs chickens turkeys lambs cows um, everything. And we would take that around and do barbecues at events or at the shops that we were involved with. So You're making me hungry now. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no. And, and, and it was amazing. And what we would do is show people that, it, you know, these chicken tacos from the farm taste that much better because they yeah. were raised with love and they were taken care of and they were, you know, what, what you put into it is what you get out of it. And 
So that, that in essence, us being able to go to South by Southwest or Maloof Money Cup and, you know, make we, we fed Rihanna tacos one one year oh, at nice. South by Southwest, you know, and I got to sit down and, and tell her the story of what our farm is and say with Michael K. Williams. And, you know, for those guys to then see the genuineness behind it and what we were doing and the passion and then go become advocates of the brand really helped us to grow what we were doing in a way that we felt like wholesome about that we felt yeah. good about and we right. felt like we were a positive impact on the environment. Um, and we've just taken that and ran with it ever since. And now the brand in the beginning, um, we were in about 200 shops in eight countries from 2010 to 2015, including urban outfitters and, um, um, like backcountry.com and a good amount of those mm -hmm. types of F stores. But what wasn't happening is they were selling our brand like it was anything else. And it's not. It's it's something special. And so we pulled away from them going into 2016, cut off all our retailers and decided to go direct to consumer through crowdfunding to tell our story and to give these guys a chance to to understand what 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 efforts we're making to do things like a coffee grounds hoodie, a hoodie yeah. out of eight eight plastic bottles and three cups of coffee. It also those those fibers hold natural functions to fabrics that people spray chemicals into to get like odor proof moisture wicking heat insulated quick dry uv protection all those come natural when you combine coffee and plastic <laughs> that's pretty awesome so yeah so you get such a benefit from these types of of uh kind of jaw-dropping technology um options and so i feel like with with Koala Tree and going direct to consumer, that was our goal was to spread that mindset more thickly and more directly. And yeah. what happened is the old brand was doing in, you know, a half a million, um, with retailers. And now we'll, we'll most likely hit 4 million this year nice. going direct to consumers. Uh, so that, you know, that, that's fun. It's fun because we have give back programs that that community gets to help, um, you know, orchestrate and direct us towards. And, um, we get a, create new products by, by reaching out to those, those customers and getting their input and really yeah. making them a part of our, of our family. Absolutely. Um, so, so that was one of the things I wanted to get into is uh, the products themselves. You guys do, uh, one of the best jobs, if not the best job that I know of, of bringing, uh, the marriage between, you know, environmental standards, but quality, like technical gear. And that's something that we're talking about a little bit before we started recording that you just don't see very often. Um, so what, what have been like some of your biggest challenges, I guess, and, and maybe finding the right materials, the right manufacturers and, and the right function to, to have such kind of a beautiful marriage of those two. Definitely. Definitely. It's, and I'm glad you asked that. It's, a uh, especially for anybody listening that is interested in starting their own business and having it be and having a focus on quality and on, um, eco-friendliness and your carbon footprint. It, it, it is, it, it is tough because exactly what you said is your challenge. If I want to go into a factory and I want to, um, work with the best factory that I know is eco-friendly, then I have to, be doing large minimums. So right. the, there's the, when we started, there was two factories in the world, Singtex and Everest, that did stuff out of organic or eco-friendly materials, etc. And um, sorry, the the, the, dog, <laughs> no the, the, the the office mascot was saw something she liked. Um, but the, so there was those two factories, and to do uh, one skew, 
like my hoodie. So to do the hoodie, you usually want it in two to three, four colorways. Mm-hmm. And for each colorway, they need a 3000 minimum. So you're talking about for four colorways in one product, you have to order 12,000 units just to work with this factory. Man. So that's the tough thing is that these, you know, this, these factories, they work with Nike and Lululemon and Spider. And right. as They're those used customers, to these massive quantities, yeah, they are exactly. And so that's the toughest that we've dealt with in growth is in the beginning we 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 had such a high focus on that it had to be eco-friendly and it had to be this that we bought ten thousand pairs of denims when we only were in 50 stores and then we had denims that we were sitting on for you know three years until we sold them at a discount when really they were really good quality um and we did that with skew after skew and by the end of 2015 more or less that was going to run the company bankrupt because the shops weren't really crafty when we were yeah they weren't they weren't doing reorders and they weren't as much as they should have mm-hmm. um also with these bigger factories we had to ship to stores within a window like I, I have to ship my spring summer orders to them in february so they can have it merchandised and ready to go right but but if i'm in the same factory as you know north face and lululemon and i'm against the same timelines as them guess who gets to go ahead of me always lululemon and nike so that that's the biggest thing is is trying to contend compete with the minimums and with the factory line um placement when you're in those big those 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 really premium factories right what's what's changed and what's awesome is that now you can go direct to consumer and you can do crowdfunding like Mm -hmm. kickstarter and indiegogo and you can decide when you want to ship so you you can ship outside of those retail um, windows when it's busy and the sh- and the factory's backed up, you can plan your launch for October instead of August, and then mm-hmm. you're you're you you eliminate that problem. Right. So right. I think that that the biggest problem for us with production was overproducing and trying to go right into the retail market at the time. That's how you built brands. Right. You'd go to a trade show. You'd go to as many as you could. You'd you get in front of buyers. It's a pretty like clear predefined path, right? It was like this is how it's been done, this is how it's being done. And it, it seems like Kickstarter is what kinda like turned things around or, or opened you up to the the newer direct to consumer model. Exactly. Exactly. And it, and what that allowed us to do is to do higher MOQs and to do bigger bigger um opportunity products. Uh-huh. that that we can we can put more time and marketing into because if i'm going to a trade show i've got to show not just one jacket you know rei wants to see five jackets and they want to see sure. five jackets that were different than the jackets they saw last trade show six months ago right, right. so so you can so you can imagine how difficult it is to to, to really harness down a, a product and say okay i know this can be better but or I know I can add this feature, but, but we I gotta have get to it. go. Yeah, yeah. we got to go to market right now. With this new model of going to crowdfunding, I just spent two years developing this Evolution Coffee Grounds hoodie, mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't rushed, and I made sure that it was um, done and no corners were cut. And yeah, we let's you think to, through every detail you know? and, and, and scope out every uh, everything with each iteration of the project. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure you had you know several kind of evolutions of it as you're creating it right yeah exactly but yeah to get to the products now we went when we when we went to crowdsourcing i sat there looking at about 200 SKUs, and i said okay well how are we going to pivot and i looked at the my favorite SKUs, 
And they all packed 10, we had 10 products and they packed into themselves. And it was a pair of shorts, pants, a hammock, a jacket, windbreaker, a, a rain jacket, a puffy jacket, and a blanket, and then a packable backpack. Mm-hmm. And everything, I unpacked the backpack and I put the other nine products into the backpack and then I picked up the backpack and everything fit in it. And I'm like, this is my line. And it probably everything weighed else less than like five pounds too, right? <laughs> it's yeah, all lightweight yeah, stuff. It, it did. It's all, yeah, every one of our products is between 0.8 pounds and 1.5 pounds. So That's crazy. You're, you're talking about a pack that weighs 10 pounds. And once you put on all, if you put on all that clothing, then you don't have to carry anything because the pack packs into itself and you can clip it on your, on your, uh, um, you know, your key, your, your bell loop. Mm-hmm. So that, that in 2016 in April is when I came to that conclusion. I, I went and shot some darts with a buddy and I just taken over the business and was kind of like, Hey, where do we go from now? And, uh, that's, that was my answer right there. So that's since awesome. then we've taken those 10 products and we've really, improved on how can we make them more multi-use how can we make the fabrics included you know more special and more unique and um we're on our sixth product out of those 10 that we've launched so far through crowdfunding nice and and yeah just we want we want our products to be high functioning quality products that you can wear in the mountain and they'll perform and be functional but then you can head to the bar at night or you can head to a concert and you don't look like you're wearing, um, you know, clothing that's specifically meant for fly fishing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've literally worn, uh, and this is a true story, not just like, you know, blowing smoke up your skirt or whatever, the trailhead pant to, uh, spring snowboarding basically, uh, is a oh, warm awesome. day out. And I was like, they're waterproof, right? All right, let's, <laughs> let's see what's up. And then, uh, and I, and to a conference as well. Cause you know, here in Colorado, obviously not everybody here is not coming through dressing up in suits and stuff. It's a lot of, you know, puffies and, and boots and whatever. And I, you know, it, it works, functions great for both. Um, and that's yeah. the one thing with all of your stuff. It's crazy how many, uh, uh, like features, I guess, or functions you've been able to put into something like a blanket for God's sake. Like I'd never, <laughs> I never thought of uh, a blanket as like a, a, I don't know, like a multifunctional piece of equipment until I saw, Oh, they added a hood to, Oh, it packs for a pillow. Cause I've can't tell you how many times I've forgotten a pillow while going camping, but yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, you could leave everything in our car. You could get a phone call to head to Bali for a week. You could leave, you could put that backpack kit in your car. You could get a phone call saying you're going to Bali for, but you got to get there right now. You got to leave to the airport, or else you can't go. You could grab that backpack, go to Bali for a week, and probably get. You wouldn't feel like you were smelling. Um, you you would. You literally you could switch back between the trailhead shorts and pants yeah. for seven days, no problem, without smelling, and. And then our shirt, our shirts are made out of that the the recycled plastics and and uh, X-ray films and stuff, and so they they really do hold their hold their keep when they're on the road. You know, they don't. Mm-hmm. And our same with our socks are made out of recycled coffee grounds, so you can wear them for I'll multiple days. Check those out. Um, and that's what's really fun is, is like you're saying with the trailhead pants. Uh, you know, we we have a couple people the, at the Outside Magazine that we uh, that are reviewers that we send products out to. And mm-hmm. We sent them a first rendition of the Trailhead Pants two years before we did the Kickstarter, and then we sent them out some new ones. And then in 2017, around Christmas time, they named our pants the number one hiking pants of 2017. 
Yeah. They also put us in the gear guide, uh, both outside magazine and climbing mag, all organically without us paying. That, that, That's that, what that you was want. Hu- yeah, That's exactly. What you want right there. Yeah. It was a huge honor. And I don't know if many people know this, but you can pay $10,000 to get into the buyer's guide for mm-hmm. outside magazine. And I've seen those emails coming through for the, ever since we started the company, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like one day we'll have the money to spend to do that. Or <laughs> well, one day we'll have a product. We can product make the most kick ass product. There you go. Exactly. exactly. And so what, in 2017 is really when we started to see we stuck to our morals and our values, even when people told us it wouldn't work. And then in 2017 is when we saw all of this media from Huffington Post to, to Climbing Mag to Outside Mag get behind our products. Yeah. Um, because of exactly what you said, because they're, they're, the Huffington Post said that the Kachula was a Swiss Army knife of blankets. It's you a know, great quote. Um, yeah, I've seen obviously yeah. I've seen it all over y'all's advertising. That's such a that's a prime rib quote right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if we if you get a quality product and it doesn't serve your life and make it easier, and you're not telling people about how this blanket saved you camping at a in a hammock and also at your niece's soccer game, right. you know, th- then we're not doing our job. So that's yeah. our goal. Our goal is to everybody that has a quality product to make their lives that much easier on the go, that they become an advocate marketer for our, for our products and it, and, it, and it becomes a part of them. Yeah. And it's, it, it's worked. There's uh, one thing that, that I kind of grew up learning too, is if you make the best thing, right, it's, it's undeniable, you know, people that use it, recognize it. And, and, like when you when you actually care about something that you're wearing or whatever, you'll take that extra step to leave the review or to, you know, connect with the brand further. That's 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 what we all want, you know, ultimately. Yeah. Um, so uh, I want to play a game with you here. Um, you know what two truths and a lie is? Yeah, I think so. Right, you're gonna you, maybe uh, go over it real quick. Yeah. So to <laughs> so to break it down real quick, basically what what I like to do is uh, three rounds here of two truths and a lie. So in each round, I'll just kind of give uh, three facts. One of those facts is going to be a lie, right? Um, so the goal is just to, to see if you can pick out which one's the lie. I'm going to, I have three topics laid out that are kind of in your wheelhouse, you know, but obviously you haven't seen these questions before. Um, and the whole goal here is just to to expose some, you know, the audience members to some fun facts in the world of sustainable fabrics, organic farming, and uh, last one is homelessness. Um, so that was obviously one of your your givebacks there. So yeah, I want to kind of try try to tie it all together here. Love it. Sweet. I'm 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 re- I'm in. <laughs> all right. So first round here in uh, some sustainable fabric facts, right? So the first one I got for you is uh, about Blue Sign products. Um, they meet some of the highest standards in resource use, health and safety standards for work conditions and consumer safety, as well as uh, factory air and water emissions. So the whole Blue Sign concept that many people may not have heard about covers those kind of areas. True. And all of our factories are Blue Sign approved. We were a part that. of the first factories getting started as Blue Sign. We were, were some of ours. So that's really, well, some of the ones we work with. So. Nice. He's already on top of it. <laughs> uh, so the second one I got, uh, organic cotton is seen to be the most environmentally friendly natural fiber to be used today. 
And um, if you want the last one before you answer too, because you already you, you already yeah. eliminated out the first one. Yeah. Um, the last one I got is Tincel's uh, Lyocell. I don't know if I pronounce it right. Um, do you know what I'm referring to though? L- the, the the tank company. Lyocell uh, is a specific uh, fabric, but basically they've they've minimized their impact by recycling 99% of the organic solvent used in its creation. So I believe it's made of uh, tree pulp. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I'm going to say that the false one is the cotton, yeah. the organic yeah. cotton. Nailed it. <laughs> so, yeah, so. A, lot of, a lot of people um, that aren't too aware of all the options that are out there might see and think that organic cotton is the best thing they can get. But like you just said, you got stuff going out with coffee, made from coffee grounds, which I guarantee a lot of people haven't even heard of. Uh that that's even an option these days. Um, so because of cotton's high water demand and uh, it using nearly twice as much land as hemp per ton of fiber produced, uh, that makes cotton not exactly the best uh, material you can use. Sweet. So Correct. You're, you're one for one on the, <laughs> on the two truths and a lie here. Thanks. Yeah, no, that's, hey, I'll take it. So our, our second round is some uh, organic farming stuff. So our first fact here um, is that organic farms have nearly an identical yield to conventional farms. Our second is that organic farms often use predator insects to wage war on harmful pests. And the third is that organic fruits and veggies have been shown in studies to actually taste better due to higher levels of antioxidants on average. I would say number one is false. Nailed same two for two. <laughs> two for two. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's one of the things. Although uh, you know, organic farming obviously has tons of benefits, um, but you know, things that go into um, traditional farming methods or whatever to produce a higher yield, be it their um, pesticides and stuff to, to reduce the amount of damage done to crops or whatever, they still can produce more. However, I'd argue quality over quantity is a good, (laughs) is a good concept to go by, especially with things you're putting in your body. Yeah, absolutely. And I can attest to the, I mean, that was the whole mindset of us going around and touring the nation, doing barbecues with food from the farm, Mm -hmm. um, you know, was if we can get people to taste how amazing this is compared to what they're used to then they're going to see the value in changing their lifestyle yeah absolutely 100 percent um sweet so our last round here is uh dealing with homelessness so first fact we got over 500,000 people in the u.s are uh defined as homeless and about 200,000 of those uh are in families um, so homeless families. The the second one, thirty percent of the homeless population is actually over the age of fifty. And the last one, uh, about a hundred and ten thousand LGBTQ youths are homeless, often because of family rejection or abuse, and they are twice as likely to fall victim uh, to suicide than heterosexual homeless youth. Heavy. This is definitely heavier topics, but it's a real yeah. problem our world deals with. 
It is. And you know what? So something so special to me is I, I was a sociology major in college and uh, 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 homelessness is something that's really always struck me uh, at my, uh, deep because a lot of people don't, aren't aware that the majority of homeless uh, suffer mental illness, that, mm-hmm. that it's not it's not just drugs. Um, it's not just opiates. This is our this is our wounded soldiers. This is Vietnam. This is people that were from Iraq. This is people that have suffered traumatic experiences like sexual abuse in our communities, um, and they just don't have the ability to cope with issues. Um, and so, when you if you get and you peel back the face of homelessness in our nation, it is us. It is our it is people that are that are like us. Yeah, um, and oftentimes and, and left I, behind by society, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And I think that um, there's, you know, there, there's, I, I, for us to be able to be a part of giving back and getting the majority of the homeless that we help are families. Um, they aren't just people, you know, living on the streets and we walk up and give a blanket to. That's done through Crossroads or through an agency that is specifically their goal is to keep blankets on families that are homeless. And we get, nice. to, we get to go around Christmas and give them to them and see the kids' faces light up and give them a beanie. And that beanie, you know, it's, 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 it's not always about what you're giving them. It's the fact that they're getting something from somebody and they've never been given anything. They're being, they're being shown care. They're being yeah. shown that other people care about them as a, as a human. Exactly. On a, on a very exactly. human level, yeah. Exactly, and there's a there's an organization here called the Christmas Box International, and it's a or it's a it's a, a safe home for kids, and their goal is to keep families that are in the in the foster um, program together. So if there's two kids that we're going to get separated that are brother and sister, they'll bring them to the Christmas Box International house, and the the, the they get a blanket and they get a book, and that's there forever. And a lot of these kids start crying because they've never had anything that's theirs, you mm. know. And one of those products is a koala tree blanket at different times when we've partnered with them. Yeah. Um, a lot of these kids, they they that have grown up, they still have their blanket and their book. Um, obviously not koala tree's blanket because this was something that we did and implemented a few years ago. But mm-hmm. there's a guy that went to the military that came back and spoke, and he still had his blanket and his book because to him that was the day that he had ownership. Yeah. Not just of these things, but of himself, you know, and he could choose his own destiny. And those are things that you don't you don't learn if somebody doesn't take a risk on you and you're just cast aside. And, and you know, n- enough time of that happening of people not believing in you, you're you, you know, you're going to live a life by de- default, not by design. Right. And that's where homelessness comes in. And, and so I think that, you know, we have a saying here that says the bigger we get, I give you know, the bigger we get, the bigger we get at giving. And I think being able to direct to directly give back to homeless and to um, help just give confidence to that that um, that demographic here in Salt Lake has been really huge for us. Mm-hmm. So, to, so to say which one is false, I think the false one is the first one that says a half a million people because I believe it's a much larger number than that. True. So um, the. The false one was uh, the second one in this case, where it's actually 50% of the homeless population is reportedly over the age of 50. Oh, um, okay, I got you. So the half, the half million, it was uh, 500,000 and change, so there's, there was a little bit more there. But, uh, yeah, the, the point, either, either way, right, the, the point that holds true is that 
I think there's a lot more people that are indeed homeless that that than most than your average person would probably guess, right? Um, yeah. Because I I think the average person's uh, view of what a homeless person is is just a panhandler, maybe right? The person that they might see on the side of the road or side of the street asking for money, um, and that's that's not exactly what everybody's situation is there. Um, but yes, yeah, it, 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 uh, Vice News. To bring um, to bring those those guys back up, they did a great uh, do- short documentary on people living in their cars in the San Francisco area. Mm. Um, great insight, and I mean, places in California that are like a Walmart, they are providing a- parking spots for people to drive up to and sleep at night. And these are people Sweet. that are working at Lyft. They're working at you know Uber headquarters. They're working good jobs <laughs> right yeah that's crazy the housing market is is causing these problems that won't allow them to, to 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 have that security and so i think that yeah it's a it's a it's a lot bigger than just people panhandling on the side of the streets i think that it's 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 and it's only going to get bigger yeah it says here um, it's on the rise. In 2016, HUD counted 176,000 people unsheltered um, living in their car. You know, mm-hmm. so like that's 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 the it says the largest unsheltered homeless population in the country um, is in Los Angeles with 15,000 people living in their cars, vans, and RVs. Jeez. So I guess they're I mean, it, chasing the dream. Hopefully, some of them are are going after the dream there. But that's uh, yeah. Yeah, that's next level. I took a note down to look, check that video out, and we'll definitely share that around. Yeah, um, we can all we can all make a difference, you know. And that's just yeah. we don't have to dwell on anything, but it's a you know a small a, a small people a group of people fighting towards, um, you know, fighting for a good cause. Mm-hmm. I really do believe in that, as opposed to a group of people fighting against something. I think when people, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a people, great point. You, you know, yeah, when people get together and, you know, do whatever they can to to make a difference, that's when I think that, you know, those those organic shifts happen in people's mindsets. But mm-hmm. when people like and that's for with quality, you know, instead of us coming out and saying, hey, you know, um, we hate Monsanto, anti Monsanto, we decided to say, hey. Let's support your local farmer. Yeah, Let's get you growing a garden. local organic foods. Yeah. yeah. And so instead of presenting the threat and harboring that negative energy and fueling that, we presented the solution yeah. and then harbored that and brought that to light. And I think that that's really, um, you know, the same mindset people can have within homelessness. Is Absolutely. We, you know, we, we never will be able to completely come up with a, with a solution, but we can change the way we think about them and not alienate ourselves so far from who they are. The more we, you know, have empathy for them, the more that we'll be able to take small steps to improving everyone's life. And mm-hmm. you know, the way the world's going is anybody could t- technically anything could happen that could place anybody homeless at any time. And if there's no empathy in people's hearts right now that aren't homeless, you know, that's that's the pro- that's kind of the problem. You know, is out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big issue with all like sustainability and environmental and long term thinking issues is uh, people write things off that aren't directly in front of their face every day. And uh, 
Yeah, that, but I love that point that you said about being pro something, being for something, being passionate about something rather than carrying around, uh, you know, I guess a hatred against something or, a, you know, the negative side, the opposite side of that. Um, yeah. I, I think if a lot, if more people kind of took on that kind of attitude, we would see a, a lot more you know, entrepreneurial opportunities coming up and a lot more people like looking for those solutions, like you said. Um, yeah. that, that's, that's a fantastic point. Um, so to kind of wrap it up, there's, there's like a few questions that are a little broader that we like to just pose to everybody and we get kind of all sorts of, uh, all sorts of answers on and takes on. Um, so I always find it interesting, but the, the first one here is, um, how do you go about explaining sustainability or showing sustainability to a toddler or to, you know, the next generation? Well, so I have 26 nieces and nephews, but I have fewer oh, kids. <laughs> so you've had plenty of opportunities too then. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so I think there's two initiatives that I'd like to touch on. A uh-huh. is teaching them how to be sustainable within their own lives to the environment. And I think B, teaching kids how to be sustainable with social relationships. I think that right now you have to have both to be, to have the, to, to kind of be tuned in with yourself. Um, the younger generation is going to struggle so much with cell phones, but we're talking about a toddler, right? So they don't know about technology. Yeah, not yet, yet, not yet. Yeah. But I think that, um, helping them understand that, Less is more. Honestly, helping them understand that one toy that's a really good toy that they like to play with, mm-hmm. that they enjoy, is a lot better than 30 toys they don't care about. Or that they just, just you know, less is more. That's yeah. what I would really teach because, you know, um, not only when you have more, and that kind of came to me naturally being, a, a you know, in a family of seven where there's only so much that parents can, can do, you know, in that I'm situation. sure you're in the, in the hand-me-down line, right? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. But, but it helped me to understand that, that the more things you have is not equate to the more happiness you have. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, it's, it's, it's how you, you see things and how you value relationships or how you value things. So I would, I would promote the kid, you know, the toddler to value relationships, to laugh and to want to be around people. And that less is more would be my two things to, to really help teach sustainability. Cause if you're, if you grow up and you're always in your phone and you're not worried about people and Mm -hmm. relationships, most likely you're not going to be too worried about, um, you just lose empathy across the board. I think. Yeah, you do. do. Yeah. So I teach one thing I do with my eight year old nephew right now is we, I, 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 I always walk around, even when I had skull candy stickers with stickers in my back pocket. And if I see somebody down or somebody in need, like, you know, so not like if I see some, an opportunity or if someone's nice to me where I can give them a sticker, then I always do. And, and typically it turns, you know, turns days around. I've had people email into quality saying that, that they were met some long haired dude because I have long hair at, at a yeah. coffee shop and he handed them a sticker and it changed the day around because they're, they were in a one, one particular girl was in La Jolla and she had her pants on and I was like, holy smokes, just somebody I'm from Salt Lake in California has her pants on and they go up and give her some stickers. She wrote in saying that her college group she was writing, supposed to meet, didn't show up. And so she was going to get a terrible grade. And my kindness changed her life around or mm. changed her day around. And she was able to then create a solution out of that issue instead of dwell on the problem. Yeah. 
And so I, I have my eight-year-old nephew that we, we, when we go around, I have him take stickers and give them to people. That's that a great he idea. The same thing. And I'm so definitely going to adopt. I'm stealing that idea from you. I'm adopting that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great yeah, idea. It is. It's like, cause it's, it comes down to that. You know, you're just, you're giving, you're taking the time to give a smile away. And some people aren't as receptive to a smile, but if you're giving them a sticker, it breaks the barrier down and it really helps sustainability within our community and our culture. And mm-hmm. I think that as social media becomes more of a plague, um, you know, it's great for a lot of things, but it is going to be a problematic platform for balance, a balanced life. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we see that creep into people's life more and more, I think the word sustainability will not only come to clothing and food, but also to social media and to how we program our brains to think about things. Um, and I, I think that'll be, that, yeah, that's a whole other topic, but I think that'll be a very important topic to cover as you know, in the, in the future when it comes down to a balanced, healthy, sustainable lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great take on it. That was, and, and yet again, you've managed to find another angle that we haven't gotten from a, another <laughs> founder yet. That's pretty cool. Um, so next one, I like to show that we're kind of not all perfect and that sustainability is accessible to everybody at any level. What are, what are some ways you feel that you could you know, work on in your own life to, to be more sustainable or, or reduce your impact a, a little bit more? Yeah, 100%. Um, so two aspects. In, within Koala Tree, we are trying, right now we're, we're small and uh, we're small enough that we ship everything over to Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. Um, we do it in the most carbon reduced way we can, but what we're setting up for the next six months is to have all of our stuff that's shipping to Europe shipped directly to Europe and all of our stuff shipping to Asia directly to Asia and then U S directly to the U S what that'll allow is it'll allow for it to go to one place and then go within that demographic and not have to go across the world to go back across the world. Yeah. So you can literally cut it in half, cut the emissions from, from shipping in half there. Correct. And these are things that you can only implement right as you get volume as you grow. So we're in a place where that's really exciting. And that's the biggest thing that we can improve on that we have actionable plans to do for quality. Um, Within my personal life, you asked a question at a time that uh, I'm a little bit, I don't know, I just I just think that I'm uh, a little bit at a loss of of. uh, So. There's two things that were happening that made me really, really hopeful about the plastics in our in our world. One, the guy from Norway that was doing the plastic cleanup. I don't know if you guys followed the like, that. The like kid, right? Who is like, yeah. like early twenties now, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And he he launched it, and it didn't. It, it broke in the middle of the ocean. So as as of now, that thing will not work. Right. I I I, I mean, he has it. He has a very um um great outlook on how he can improve it and get it back out and mm-hmm. but but uh, uh, but as of right now that was something that i was really excited about that i'm like hey we're making moves right and then secondly and vice also has a lot of documentaries on that too <laughs> if you want to look into it but oh yeah um, i think it's boy on slat or something is his name yeah boy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, um and then secondly um china stopped accepting our plastics mm-hmm. so if you if you do some research on it right now, if you put stuff in the recycle bin or you put it in the in the non-recycle bin, they're most likely going to the same place as of right now. Mm-hmm. And um, that's unfortunate because 
we were doing so well. We were making so much headway. And through that process, I was very adamant about separating my recycling and about being not being like that guy that's like, hey, you put that in the non-recycling, but just being the dude that would quietly put it into the recycling without giving right. anybody crap. Right. Maybe educate somebody and say, hey, you could, you know, it's a little, it's easier to put it in here too. Anyway, it's closer. Um, but over the last couple of months, that fire has been been a little bit put out for me, just because now people can tell me, no, actually, it's all going to the same place. And like, what am I? Nah, what what can I say back? Yeah. They're actually right. Yeah, what's going on behind the scenes that a lot of people don't know that you're referring to is that whole, like, it, it, well, some benefits that may come out of it is it may force countries like ourselves to figure out how to build the infrastructure and handle it internally, right? Yes. But who yes. knows how long that'll take is the unfortunate truth to it. But yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a there's recycling places here in the U.S. You guys, and if. Uh, you you don't know you can do some pretty easy research on it i i think a lot of people don't know um one of my wife's really close um yeah you know friends it's that's really into the environment she had no idea until i shared it with her in december um but uh, if you go on and look at it there's an interview with this guy that, that owned um that owns a massive multi multi-million dollar recycling facility and you can just see the worry in his face there's pallets and pallets and pallets of recycles that he used to get paid for people to come pick up. Mm-hmm. Now he has to pay people to take it. Yeah, because it's just the landfill. getting overwhelmed, right? Or it's it's such so a this, high volume yeah. coming in, you can't process. Yeah, so the system is, 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 like you said, the pendulum. I mean, just like our presidency, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not getting into politics, but we go from Obama to Trump. The pendulum swung all the way to the other side. Right. And I do believe that for great change, the pendulum has to make that swing from one side to the other. So hopefully this is that swing where we were able to bring recycling back to the U.S., create jobs and create a really good feeling within of pride, of pride of doing that. Because it shouldn't mm-hmm. be on us to send it. China was right. They shouldn't be the one, the only country taking all of our plastics right. and our recyclables. Right. We should be able to find out how we, there's a lucrative way to do that. And so until that happens, you know, we're going to be continuing to, to see these these uh, recycling plant owners be in this position. Um, but I mean, I think that I think that that's the big that's my personal biggest thing to overcome is that regardless of what's happening in the world, we can still all recycle stuff and we can still have that mindset and know that we're doing it, making a difference to impact the world. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, regardless of what type of roadblocks come in, I think that I can do a better job of being more optimistic when those giant negatives, in my opinion, come up as a hurdle for us. Right. Yeah. And on that, I think that's a a great note to kind of wrap up on is like you said, we're, we're responsible for our personal stuff. There's always going to be things happening outside of our lives that, um, you know, we won't be able to control, but, um, yeah, stay optimistic look for those opportunities for solutions and um yeah with that uh, thank you for your time charlie I, I really appreciate it i really enjoyed talking with you learning more about your story as a person but also Qualtry's background is very interesting um so yeah to everybody make sure you check it out at uh you know Qualtry.com, of course and all their social media stuff is all at Qualtry with a c <laughs> yeah yeah and i Use the code one love. That's O N E L O V E, um, and that'll get you a discount on any of the things on our website. 
We also have a Kickstarter that you can find from our social media or our website. It is a revolutionary um, hoodie that we made out of eight plastic bottles, or t- I think it's 10 plastic bottles and three cups of coffee. It, an extra small is going to be a different amount of bottles than a, ne- a double extra large, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you get the gist. So go check that out and, and give us a, a back and share if you appreciate the project. Pull it up real quick. That's the evolution hoodie here, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah guys check that out it's all great stuff um, Qualtree is one of my personal favorite brands and again thanks again Charlie yeah likewise you guys appreciate it have a great rest of the day and as always protect your wild thanks again guys for listening that was a killer episode I hope you enjoyed it if you want to hear more of this shit be sure to subscribe please give us a review on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts it helps people find it and uh yeah make sure you check out our instagram at al the lifestyle and all of this good stuff we got on our website at al the lifestyle.com all right see y'all next week